So um, what we're doing today is we're continuing the series that we started oh, six weeks or more ago, um, called The Fundamentals of the Faith, where we decided that it would be good to look at the, the basics of, you know, the nuts and bolts of why we believe what we do or what we believe, okay? And we started out full strong, started out by talking about grace and about how it's not about what we've done, but about what Jesus has done for us and what God's done for us. Uh, then we looked, I looked at um, the authority and authenticity of the Bible, just proving that the Bible is actually the Word of God. It's not just a book put together by man, but it's inspired and put together by God. Um, and then came Easter. And over Easter, we had three different messages looking at Jesus and him dying on the cross and his resurrection and what that um, meant for us. And next week, um, I've spoken to Phil Strong, and he's going to speak on the Trinity, which is um, looking forward to that. Trinity is fundamental to our faith, but actually really quite a difficult concept to grasp. So um, looking for that. But what are we looking at this week? This week, we're looking at God's amazing love for us, okay, and that God loves us no matter what. And um, so we know that, I mean, love is spoken many, many times in the Bible, um, and, you know, the most famous verse is, of course, John 3.16, which is, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So what do we mean by love? What does it mean by God so loves the world? Well, it so happens that I love cheese, you know. Mmm, <laughs> beautiful. We gave out chocolate to people who um, had birthdays this month. And um, I think I'd actually rather cheese than chocolate. But is that what God means? Does God love us? Does God's feeling towards us the same way I feel about cheese? No, no, it's not. And um, as I'm oh, about three minutes in, I've already compared God's love to cheese. We figured I probably isn't, aren't the best person to discuss what God's love is about. So what we've done is we've actually got um, four different um, people here who have prepared a, a little message each about what God's amazing love means to them. So, um, Damie, do you want to start us off? Morning, guys. Sorry, um, I've just lost my voice a little bit. I was at uh, Skyland Rotor Vegas yesterday, uh, screaming, screaming my lungs out, so um, bear with me this morning. Um, I tend to ramble quite a bit, so um, I've just taken the liberty to write out what I'm going to say this morning, so I can keep to the time limit. Um, so I arrived in New Zealand uh, on the 24th of June 2017, after spending one year in Indonesia where I um, did my um, OE, so that my overseas experience, following my graduation at university uh, in 2005. And since then I have lived in New Zealand by myself. No uncles, no long distance relations, no aunties, no cousins, just me. Over the last 14 years, I've had amazing experiences. I met some amazing people who remain friends to me till date. Many of whom have become close friends. Others I count as my family. 
also during my time here, I have faced many lows as well, just like anyone else in this room. Um, some of that has put me on <clears throat> some sort of thoughts and ideas in my head. And yes, also thoughts of ending my life as well. Um, but somehow, I've always reached in deep into the deepest parts of me. And there, I find God. Still there telling me, son, I love you. And I always, and I would always be with you. You know, I've been broke without a cent to my name. Um, but he tells me, I am your Jehovah Jireh, your provider. I mean, what more evidence do you need? I'm right here. I remember in 2009, when I didn't have a place to stay, I was living in an eight-bunk room in Wellington for three weeks, very scared that something bad was going to happen to me. But he said to me, don't worry, Damien. I'm your Jehovah Nisi, your protector. And no evil shall come on you. When I thought life was going to get better, as my company at the time um, was making a lot of money in 2013, uh, only to lose it all <laughs> uh, the next year, and um, end up in serious debt as a result. But he said to me again, Damien, I'm your Elohim, your creator. I will create new ones for you. You know, I look at my life today and I don't really want to go into details, you know. Um, but believe me when I tell you that I shouldn't be standing here today. Um, but he disagrees with me. You know, he tells me every day, he loves me. And he has plans for me. And he's not going anywhere until he's done. Uh, in more recent times, through my wife and daughter, he is showing me new purposes for my existence. Um, an opportunity to give back that unconditional love that he has given me. And every day I thank him immensely for this. Uh, brothers and sisters, I shouldn't be here today, but for his love, his unconditional love, I am standing here today. Thank you, guys. Oh, thank you, um, Damie. That's awesome. Um, Janet, would you like to speak next? Thank you. Morning, everybody. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to speak this morning. I've been studying Genesis now for about nine months with a bunch of ladies, and I've been astounded at how much this book has encouraged my faith. In fact, um, studying the characters and events throughout the Old Testament books reveals so much about who God is and his many attributes. 
Just look at Luke 24, 27. Jesus is chatting to the men who are along the road to Emmaus. And it says, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. I've got a quick summary of the Old Testament, and I'll I'll attribute that not to myself, but Pastor Don Barry from Hamilton. Genesis, he is the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is the great high priest. In Numbers, the bronze serpent lifted high. In Deuteronomy, he's the prophet greater than Moses. In Joshua, he's the captain of our salvation. In Judges, he's the lawgiver and judge. In Ruth, he's our kinsman redeemer. First and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles. Jesus is our prophet, our priest, and our king. In Ezra, he's the faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, the builder of our walls. In Esther, he's our advocate in the face of destruction. In Job, he's the living redeemer. In Psalms, he's the Lord, our shepherd. In Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, he's wisdom from God. In Song of Solomon, our lover and our bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's the suffering servant. In Jeremiah, he's the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's the glorious son of man. In Daniel, he's that glorious son of man coming on the clouds. In Hosea, he's the faithful husband. In Joel, he's the giver of the spirit. In Amos, he's the burden bearer. In Obadiah, he's the mighty deliverer. In Jonah, he's the missionary forgiving God. In Micah, he's the ruler of all ages from Bethlehem. In Nahum, he's the stronghold in the day of trouble. In Habakkuk, he's our intercessor crying out for revival. In Zephaniah, he's the one mighty to save. In Haggai, he's the desire of all nations. In Zechariah, he's the righteous branch and the smitten shepherd. And lastly, Malachi, he's the son of righteousness, rising with healing in his wings. It's all in here. Proof that God loves his people over and over again. He works with the faulty. Look at Noah, Abraham, Jacob, and David. He works with the sinful. Just look at the judges. He works with the desperate, Naomi and Ruth, to change them into images of himself, to bring about his purposes and his plans because he is sovereign. And that's what he's doing now. Working with the faulty, that's me. The sinful, that's me. And uh, the desperate, which is me too changing me and you as we turn to him in the difficult and the dark and unexpected places. When you turn to Jesus and his word, his love shows up. I can see the hand of God all through my life. When I was 10, I had a serious illness and a major operation. I knew God the Father as a young girl going to Sunday school. I felt God's protection on me in scary social situations. My faith was encouraged by going to a church school for two years. And I landed in a Christian group at high school and gave my life to Jesus at 16. God spoke to me in dreams. He revealed himself to me in pictures. I met a really nice Christian guy early on and married him. Fraser wanted me to put that bit in. Um, We were both on the same page regarding God and Jesus and our faith. I met the Holy Spirit and learned more about who he was through an Anglican church in my early 20s. God saved my small family in a serious car accident, and God miraculously brought us out from the mission field overseas, unexpectedly. God has given me strength throughout my parenting years, last-minute rescues, 
to nighttime encouragement and words in season from friends. And now I know deep in my heart that Jesus is essential to my very being. His word is pivotal in this day of uncertainty and change especially. I need to know that God loves me no matter what because a lot of the time I can't see. I balk at the unknown and the unreachable and my hope is in the coming again of Jesus to make things right. I just have a few verses here that I'd like to share with you that tells me that God is interested in me and he is with me. In Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. In 2 Chronicles 16.9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. So God's actually looking out for you just with that little bit of faith. Romans 8.26 says, But the Spirit himself makes intercession. In 27, he says he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Romans 8.34 is Christ, who is even at the right hand of God, also makes intercession for us. You've got three people praying for you, God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, just in Romans there. How encouraging is that? In John 10.28.29, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. And Jesus goes on to say, Neither will they snatch them out of my Father's hand. In John 16.33, Jesus says um, he has overcome the world. And lastly, in John 14.27, he leaves us with his peace. And let not your heart be troubled, and don't let it be afraid. Take time to find Jesus and to find him and his character in your circumstances. He's always perfectly what we need. That's where life and assurance are in Jesus. And he loves you no matter what. Thank you, Janet. That's just awesome. Awesome. Um, you know, always good to get scripture and um, focus on the word. Um, Stu, do you want to go next, please? Good morning, everyone. Uh, as Phil has said, we're here talking about God's loving us no matter what. And I've, I've, I'm talking about his unconditional love. And I'm talking about it from my perspective. So my first response when he asked was to go, no way, I'm not going to stand up. Then I said, well, if you're desperate and last resort, I'll stand up. (laughs) Then I said, maybe. And then God came to the party and here I am. Interesting, Interesting though, the difference between our response in the flesh versus our response when we're guided by God. I suspect he knows something we don't. I trust, therefore, that what I'm about to say may speak to someone, but even if it doesn't, I know it's reminded me, some, reminded me of some things. 1 John 4, 9 to 10 NIV version says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we may live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's important to note that God's love is a love that initiates. It is never a response. This is precisely what makes it unconditional. If God's love were conditional, then we would have to do something to earn it or merit it. We would have to somehow appease his wrath or cleanse ourselves of sins before God would be able to love us. But that's not the biblical message. The biblical message, the gospel, is that God, motivated by love, 
moved unconditionally to save his people from their sin. So God, therefore, was loving me unconditionally during the 45 years I had my back turned from him. If he wasn't, then I don't believe he'd have continued pursuing me and providing opportunities for me to hear his knocking at my door. Looking back, there were many, although I didn't recognise it at the time. And I think that's because I was fairly stubborn. But I had to hit rock bottom to finally hear his knocking. It was here that I needed to make a choice. Live for him or live for me. Well, I'm standing here now, so I think I chose to live for him. He knew what was the right choice for me, but he also knew I had to make the choice, not him. For those of us who are parents, doesn't this sound familiar? The times when we don't want any of our kids to make the wrong decision, but we also know that we need to let them to make the decision and them to know we still love them. So after I'd chosen to live for him, it was again his unconditional love that brought people into my life to help me through the still hurting relationship breakdown, which although hard to go through at the time, I credit for bringing me to God, as well as people to walk with me on my journey with him. He put me into places to access courses that would change my life. The Alpha course run by the Bible Chapel and the Quest for Authentic Manhood, which was run here by North End Church at the time. Those people in courses weren't provided with any conditions. They were provided because God loved me and knew I needed them. I still had the choice whether to accept them or not. When things did become overwhelming, he had people provide the right words at the exact right time to show he was with me, to help me keep going. How good was that? Although I know God's unconditional love is available to everyone from conception to death, there's definitely a difference when you're in a relationship with him versus when you're not. Because I came to my relationship with him later in life, I'm able to see that difference clearly. Having God in my life is way better than not. And when there are times I need to remind myself of this, I'm fortunate to have those 45 years as an example to look back on and remind myself, a bad day with God in my life beats a good day without. I'm also learning the things I took delight in early in my walk that clearly show God's amazing, unconditional love, I have to now be careful not to take those things for granted. If I do, I'll miss seeing how much God still loves me. So to wrap up, I'd like to finish with Psalm 103, 8 to 11. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Oh, thank you, Stu. That's, um, that's awesome. And so, um, yeah, our last, um, last speaker today is Jan. So she's just coming up here. Isn't it a privilege to talk about the love of God? I, um, when I was asked to do this, I, I laughed and said, there's no way that I can talk about the love of God because I don't actually always understand the love of God. It's an area of my life that even though I've walked with him for a long time, I struggle with. I was raised in a home where love was conditional. If you were good, you were loved. Maybe even had tea that night, but if you weren't. And so I, you can imagine the first few years of our married life, Doug had to go through a lot of hard times, having to come to grips with the fact that I couldn't accept love. And so even now, there are periods of time when I'd go into condemnation and i say, God, you don't love me. 
this wouldn't happen if you, if you would have answered the prayer the way I wanted to be answered, not the way you've answered it. And so I go into this period of time of just struggling. But Pastor Phil has actually got a saying that I'm, I know you've all heard a hundred times, but it means a lot to me. And it says, he says, what sin are you believing now? And so when I go into this time of saying, God, you wouldn't have done allowed this to happen if you loved me, I believe, I sit down and I say, okay, Jan, what sin are you believing right now? And then I have a choice. I have a choice whether or not to believe what God says or to believe what my flesh says. And the way to go to that is the word. I go back to the word and I just study the word and I just think of, and I read it. And I just, I don't read it to, to, I just read it so it washes over me. Because his love isn't emotional always. His love is just factual. And I just love the fact that in Genesis, Deuteronomy, Isaiah, Daniel, Micah, Zechariah, Malachi, hundreds of years before the birth and the death and the torture of Jesus Christ, he knew specifically what he was going to go through. Jesus knew that he was going to be tortured. Jesus knew that he was going to be put on a tree. Jesus knew all of that. And you know what? He still came. He still went through that because of his love for me, for you, for us. That just astounds me that that someone would go through that and God the Father would send his only son. Not for the righteous, not for those who are wonderful and pure and righteous, but for the drags of the world, the Jane Schuberts of the world. He, you know, he was born in Bethlehem, exactly as the Bible said. He was killed, murdered, tortured, exactly as it said. He rose again, just exactly as the Bible says. So that is my that is my level playing field, the word of God. Do you know the thing that really gets to me is that Jesus prayed. Forgiveness for the people who put him on the cross. And I just want to love like he loves. God did not send Jesus as a reward for the obedient. This is from T.W. Tozer. I love these old people with their wisdom. God did not send Christ as a reward to the obedient, but rather as a ransom for the defiant. There is nothing that can separate you, me, us from the love of God. I can throw all the little tantrums that I like, but it doesn't stop his love for me. It was interesting, this week we've had our grandchildren stay, and one of them, I, I did the carnal sin, I gave her sandwiches as a dinosaur and not as a dolphin that she wanted, so she had this little tantrum, and her way of tantruming is looking at the floor so that nobody, if she feels that if she can't see you, you can't see her, and I was just there, just moving the chairs and just checking everything so she wouldn't hurt herself, and I had this idea that this is what God does for me, when I just say, hey God, I'm not happy here, I'm not happy in this situation, I, Lord, I'm bringing to you something that I'm bringing to you for the 88th time, and Lord, I'm still waiting, and I'm I'm tired of waiting and I want it right now. Thank you very much. I'm doing my two-and-a-half-year-old's tantrum. But he just doesn't stop loving me. He is incapable of of stop loving me. Numbers 21 says that God is not a man that he would lie. And he has said, I love you. Romans 8, 37, 39 says, Nothing 
can separate us from the love of God, but we separate ourselves. So I'm going to ask you, is there something, is there a lie that's keeping you from knowing the reality and the truth of Jesus Christ in your life? Because I tell you what, his love is unconditional. There's no conditions upon it. And I think that's amazing. And we don't have to work to be good. He accepts us exactly as we are. And I just love loving Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. Um, you four speakers. It really just brought out, you know, both Janice, Janet and Jan. I tried to combine your names there. But, um, you know, they spoke about how, you know, God's Bible and his word is, is a... Um, uh, you know, a demonstration of our, his love and how we, if we read it more, we can understand it more. And, and both Stu and Damie just wrote how God has just pulled them through some incredibly hard times. Um, and one thing, I, just as we look to wrap this up, um, just God's love demands a response from us. As Stu has said, you know, he was given the choice, um, you know, he could keep living for himself or he could, you know, choose to follow God's way. So I just, um, Peter, no, sorry, Peter, I'm getting confused. Richard um, opened with this scripture here, John um, chapter 21, verses 15 to uh, 17. But we'll look at verse 15 once and just look at Peter's response to Jesus' love. And the context of this is that they've just had a miraculous catch of fish and they've barbecued them up. Um, and um, they've eaten them all. And then, um, so John chapter 21, 15. So when they had eaten, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. You see, the first time that Jesus asked Peter, does he love him? He doesn't actually directly ask, do you love me? He says, do you love me more than these, meaning the fish? You see, Peter was a fisherman. That's what Peter um, had been called out of to follow Jesus. And um, Jesus was asking him, well, you know, there's a choice. As Stu said in his, um, in his message, you've got a choice to make. Um, does he want to follow fish or does he want to follow Jesus? Not that there's anything wrong with fishing. You know, Peter could continue to fish, could say, no, I just want to be a fisherman, and Jesus would have loved him just the same. However, he would have missed the calling and the fullness that Jesus had for them. But just as we contemplate that, I just want to ask, is there something that Jesus would sit down beside you and ask, hey, is there a more than these in your life? Or is there a more than if? If you were having a meal with Jesus, would he point to something and say, hey, do you love me more than this? Or do you love me more than these? And um, if there's not, then that's great. They're probably, but if something springs to mind, you know, just just be aware of it. And I'm going to create an opportunity for prayer um, later. Um, but yeah, just is there a, a more than this? And Jesus didn't, Peter, I'm getting all these people confused. Peter didn't actually answer his question, do you love me more than this? He just responds with, you know that I love you. Um, and, but um, we actually miss the deeper meaning of this verse. And, and the reason we miss the deeper meaning of this verse is because we speak English. And um, it's translated not 
exactly as it was. You see, English is a funny language. My daughter, who's probably out with the kids, tells me that people that um, learn this language from overseas, are, they're bizarre, they're frustrated because there's no word for the day after tomorrow in English, which, if you think about it, that'd be a really useful word to have. However, there is a word for throwing somebody out a window. So, Yep, it is. Defenestration. I dare you to use that this week. So, you know, it's a bizarre language. And one of the things that English is really lacking in as it relates to these um, scriptures here is that there's um, only one word for love. And here, Jesus uses two, well, this passage uses two different words for love. And in Greek, I believe, depending on which Google um, um, link I clicked on, there's either four or six words for love in Greek. And we use the same one. And so, when, um, yeah, so that's a fish. (laughs) Um, When Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? He uses the word agape. And agape is the unconditional love that Janet and Jan and Stu and Damy are talking about. It's um, the sacrificial love. It, um, if you read um, Hebrews 13, the chapter about love, it's, it's God's love for people. It's the highest form of love. So Peter actually asked, hey, oh, Jesus asked Peter, Simon, do you agape me more than you like the fish? And Peter's response is this, yes, I filio you. Now, filio is like a brotherly love. It's like a, a, a friendship type of love. It's a fondness towards something. So when I um, said earlier, you know, that I loved cheese, it would be more of a filio. I'm fond of cheese. I like it, but it's quite different to the agape love. And you know, filio, actually, my name's Phil or Philip, and my name comes from uh, filio. So filio means to love, and then you've got the word hippos for her, horse. Okay, and so my name in Greek would be Philippos, which is a combination of Phil and hippos. So filios, and in English, Philip. Um, and which means someone that loves horses, someone that's fond of horses, which is completely not true, by the way. <laughs> right. So anyway, so th- again, so the first time Jesus asked, do you agape me? Do you have a deep love for me? And Peter says, actually, no, you're a friend of mine. You know, you're, yeah, you're a friend of mine. And so Peter, uh, Jesus asks again, verse 16, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Agape, and he answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Filio. He said, Take care of my sheep. The third time, now, the third time it changes. Jesus um, asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Jesus also uses the word filio. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? So, That's why he was hurt. He wasn't hurt because he asked him three times. He was hurt because Jesus changed it to the lower form of love. And then he said, you know, Lord, that I love you. He said, feed my sheep. So you look at this Peter here. He's asked, does he love him? And and he replies, agape love, and he replies, why would he do that? 
And I, to me, this is Jesus changing his one in the third verse as a, as a measure of God will meet us wherever we're at, you know. If we don't feel that we can um, be at a level, certain level, Jesus will come down to our level. And if you think about it, Peter had recently denied Jesus. He didn't feel worthy of his love. Hey, I wonder if the band could get up. And Jackson, do you want to just start strumming um, in the background? Um, so he didn't feel worthy of agape love. And um, so as we conclude, I just want us to consider th- some things. And we're going to sing that last song again. And if there's something that somebody said today, if we, whether it be Damie or Stu or Janet or Jan or something I've said that really affects you, we're going to create an opportunity for prayer here so the elders or and the people that have spoken today are more than happy to pray for you. Um, so just come up the front as we're singing the song. Um, but yeah, I just want you to consider, is there uh, more than these in your life? You know, is there something that Jesus would ask you, you know, is there something that you feel that you love, you know, that you're putting priority over God? Also, also, um, as both Janet and Jan mentioned, you know, the Word of God, maybe the more than these, maybe you need to read your Bible more. Maybe that's something that um, God's calling you to do. Or maybe you're like Peter, you feel that you want to love at a higher level, you want to be able to give a, a agape love, but you don't know my past, you don't know what I've done, you know, I'm not worthy of that. Well, Jesus will meet you at your level, and, and the, if you read the book of Acts and, and history outside the Bible, it tells us that Peter did love Jesus in agape form, you know, he did commit the rest of his life for him. Or maybe you're watching this or here and you've never actually received the love of Christ. As Stu was talking about the fact that, um, you know, there was a difference. He, God loved him regardless, but there's such a difference between when he um, accepted Christ and when he didn't. Um, so we just want to create the opportunity for that. And if anything um, ministers to you or you want prayer for anything else, just come up while we sing this last song. Um, and we'll just pray and then we'll start singing. Lord, we thank you for your unconditional love for us. Lord, we thank you that you're with us and near us. Pray your blessing over us today, Lord. And we thank you that we do belong to you. Hallelujah. <laughs>